0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Nevin Neal. Matthew chapter 2, would you stand with me please as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, uh, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born? ...king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east... ...and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled... ...and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests... ...and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them... ...where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea... ...for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem... ...in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah... ...for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel... Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy." And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and they opened their treasures and when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, as I said before, we're going to put the primary focus tonight on verse 11 where the Bible says, and when they were come... Into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's interesting to me, we give gifts at Christmas time. I was reading today in the book of Esther, and it's interesting. I may have mentioned this the other day. In the 12th month, on the 14th and 15th days of the month, after the Jews had been delivered from Haman and his wicked scheme, They ordained uh, and set in motion that there should be a feast annually on those two days called the days of Purim uh, to commemorate God saving them. The Bible says they had feasting and joy and they gave portions one to another and gifts to the poor. I read that and I thought, now that's like Christian Christmas. We know we've been liberated. We're grateful to have been liberated from our sin, liberated from our wretched flesh, liberated from the devil, Excuse me, and out of that, We give gifts to each other. uh, It was a celebration to say we are glad we have been set free. And uh, it's a tremendous picture of what I think Christmas ought to be for a Christian. We're happy to be saved and so we're going to give gifts to each other. And if somebody has less than we do, what an excuse to give a little more. Uh, By the way, shouldn't we be looking for excuses to give more? Amen. Christmas is a good excuse to be a giver. And so you find throughout the story of the birth of Christ, much giving going on. God gives, of course... The Lord Jesus Christ, Mary and Joseph, give themselves. Mary gives her body to the Lord to be used for his purpose. Joseph gives up his future and the the, the plans that had been made. And uh, the wise men here are giving tangible, physical gifts. And so it's no wonder we do gift-giving around Christmas. Amen? Let me just try to say, uh, there's a lot of of naysaying. I believe a Christian has liberty to celebrate it or not. It's up to you. But we have an opportunity to have a time... to to honor uh, the Lord and all these things. I see the gift-giving that you find in the Nativity story, and I think it it makes sense to me. We ought to give gifts at Christmas, amen, and enjoy doing it. So anyway, having said all of that, let's look at this uh, in three parts tonight. Uh, As we look at the wise men and their worship, the first thing I want us to see is the institution of their worship, and I mentioned this in the beginning. By institution, I mean what their worship was based upon, was founded upon, and it's what we've looked at already in the last two messages The implementation, the institution of their worship was founded on the revelation of God's works and His Word, and it's the same for us. We worship God based upon not what we've experienced so much in our flesh, but what God has revealed to us of Himself through creation, into our conscience, and through the Scripture. That's what brings us to worship Him. You know the wise men had never seen Jesus Christ. They had never seen God in heaven. They had never seen their Creator. Nonetheless, they came to worship someone they'd never seen, didn't know what he would look like, because they believed what God revealed to them. Worship is based in faith. Uh, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is important to be said, because how many times do we, we associate what worship is with a physical experience? Now, worship will result, I believe, in an outward expression, as we'll see with the wise men. But the outward expression itself does not constitute worship. So, for instance, falling on your knees and giving gifts at church doesn't necessarily mean you're a worshiper. Uh, The wise men did that, but worship was an attitude of their heart that was based upon what they knew about God from his works and his word. We can look at creation and every person ought to be a worshiper of the creator. We ought to stand in awe of what God has done. The intelligence of God surpasses us so far that the most intelligent human being can't scratch the surface of God's intelligence. This is why people reject God. They realize if God is the creator, how much more intelligent he must be than ourselves. And they say, I can't bear to think of that a God that would be so intelligent, a God would be so powerful, so mighty, so wise. And yet, the basis of their worship, we know what the wise men knew is that God had placed that star in the sky as a symbol of the birth of Jesus Christ. They believed what was revealed in His works and they believed what was revealed in His words. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. Again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork night into night, uttereth speech and day into day knowledge. And so, even so with us, worship just like every other facet of our lives that's going to be lived for the Lord, is based in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So not only is it founded on the revelation of his works and, works, uh, works and word, it was formed by the response of faith. We've, and I'm really in this first point. I just want to do a little bit of review. Numbers of people must have seen that star, but the wise men responded by believing what the star said. The, they believed the message behind that. They believed what God was speaking. When the heavens declared the glory of God, they believed it. Tonight, how many, let me just say this tonight. I say this often, but this room is filled with people that are very familiar with the things of God. We are very familiar with the terminology. When I start talking about creation, as a preacher, you become familiar with how familiar people are with truth. And so this is a room tonight that's filled with people that are familiar with truth. But that does not necessarily mean we're worshipers. To be a worshiper means I respond to that truth and accept it as being so. So I understand the Bible says God created the heaven and the earth. When I believe that statement, it changes what I think about God. For the people that read in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and they go, eh, I'm not sure if that's true or not well, then they're not going to have any awe or reverence for a God. They're not even sure did, did all of that. So, for instance, if you if you built a new home and you were intelligent enough and skillful enough and diligent enough that you knew how to excavate the property and you knew how to level the ground and you knew how to pour a slab and you know how to construct some walls and put a roof on there and, run all your own wiring and do all your own plumbing, and all of a sudden, this not all of a sudden, but over time, you build a beautiful 3,000-square-foot, two-story home. That's a beautiful place. And one day you invite me over for dinner, and I say, boy, you got a pretty place here. They say, yeah, you know what? We built this place. And I go, no. You? No, surely not. You built it. You mean you paid somebody to build it? You're like, no, I built it. I poured the concrete, I constructed the walls, I hung the drywall, I put up the trim, I hung the light fixtures, wired the place. If I sit there and think, I cannot accept that you are intelligent enough, purposeful enough, diligent enough to start the job and finish it and make it look like it does. I reject it. I don't believe, beautiful house, but I don't believe you built it. I'm not going to respect your ability if I don't believe the truth. And there are those who cannot bear to think that God is wise enough to have created every facet of our world, including the stars and the planets, the galaxies that are to be honest, One of the things they'll say is, there's no way. I mean, you know how many galaxies there are? Yes, expand your view of who he is then. Adjust your mind to the facts. Here's what wise men do. They do not adjust the facts to their mind. They adjust their mind to the facts. The facts are God created it all, and the more facts you believe that are revealed by creation, that are revealed by the Bible, the more impressed you'll be with the one who made you. Wise men believe the facts. Fools reject facts because they can't explain them or because they don't like them. Wise men accept the facts. And so their, their worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, of their God, of the God of heaven, was founded upon the revelation of his works and his word, but... How many other people had access to the same knowledge? That's what we looked at last week. The scribes and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the priests, the high priests, they knew Micah 5 two. The difference in these men is they responded in faith. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. You see, today the world is not filled with unbelievers because God has not revealed who He is and because God has not left a record of who He is and because God has not revealed to a great measure how you can come to Him. The world is filled with unbelievers not because the truth is not available but because the truth is not responded to by faith by so many. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 said, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Why did the word not profit them? It wasn't mixed with faith. It's why two people can sit on the same pew. This person go home transformed. Their life starts changing on that day and never looks the same again. This person here walks home. and the They both heard the same message. This person goes back, lives a life the way they were, and continues to decline into a life of sin because this one responded to God's word in faith. They believe what God said. Wise men have worship that is instituted on belief of God, believing that God cannot lie. When God hung the stars, he communicated something to us. He communicated that he is, and through his word he's communicated that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so... Through the belief of the witness of creation and the word of God written, these men had worship that was built upon that. By the way, that's what true worship is built upon. What is being called worship in our country today, in so many places called churches, is built upon people's emotions. Emotions. I, I, I have developed a God that makes me feel warm inside, a God that gives me what I long for. I call it a Walt Disney theology. A God who will give you what you dream of if you treat Him right. A God who lives and exists to help you fulfill your dreams. That is not, That theology is not in your Bible. Jesus Christ lived the opposite of that theology. He did not come to live and fulfill His dreams. He came to live and fulfill the will of His Father in heaven, which was His ultimate goal, and He did it. And he called us to follow him. And when, when we have a God that exists to help us be happy, we have, as so many other preachers have aptly said, more aptly than I am saying, we have a God who is a humanist God. We are, God did not create us for our own happiness. He created us for his own pleasure. Not, and by the way, what brings him pleasure is not sadistic like what brings us pleasure. What brings pleasure to God is goodness and holiness and righteousness and truth, and that's why I sent Christ into the world to redeem us so that we might please him. And so tonight the idea would be this, that if we have if we're hearing a message from God and we don't believe it, There's no prophet, but these men had a worship not based upon their emotions. Let me put it this way. They did not say, you know what, if we could follow that star and find this newborn king and present him gifts, it would make us feel so good inside. What they believed was this is the newborn king. He is worthy of our time and attention. We must go meet him, present to him the best we have, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That is worship. Now that we—he do, does not exist for us; we exist for him. I'm, don't misunderstand me. He came for us. I understand that, but the point would be this: that worship today. Many people say, well, "I don't want to worship there because I just, you know, it doesn't make me feel the way I want to." Well, then that's that's not worship of God. I understand feelings are from God. Emotions are from God, but they follow facts, not precede them. And worship today is not an exciting feeling inside a building that's called a church. Because What happens is, how many of you know that at a rock and roll concert, emotions get stirred and feelings are strong? That's what the music is designed to do to put you on some kind of an emotional high or an emotional low. It takes you low, and then it takes you high. And that thrilling, I've never been to a rock and roll concert, and I'm not planning on going to one, but you can know what they do. And the fact of the matter is, you can go to concerts that will stir your emotions. And church has turned into nothing more than a concert of some sort, some kind of a performance either by the the speaker or the musicians to get people to feel emotional and call it worship. Worship is an attitude toward God based upon the facts of who He is. And the wise men were wise because they had worship that was based on the Word of God, not the feelings inside their emotions. Amen. That's true worship. And so the institution of their worship was founded upon the revelation of His works and His Word and formed by a response of faith. When they saw the star, they responded. They understood enough about the star through scripture and through whoever who had communicated with them to understand that star had significance and signified the birth of Christ. They responded by believing it and saying, you know what, then we're going to act on it. They believed what that star communicated so much that they said, we're going to leave our homeland and pursue the one that that star stands for. The light, here's what we have to do, God gives light that reveals a truth. And if we say, well, it might be true, I don't know, and you never actually believe it, you'll never act upon it, and there'll not be worship established in your heart, but these men did. They believed what God communicated through the heavens, they believed what God communicated through the written word of God, and their, faith, their worship was developed in them by believing God. That's what happened. When they believed what God said, they became worshipers of God. So the institution of the worship. Number two in verse 11, we find the integrity of their worship, And we've alluded to this already, but in verse 11, the Bible says in verse 10, when they saw the star, this is after they left Jerusalem, and they've heard that Jesus is in Bethlehem, not knowing his name yet. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, again, you said, Pastor, they weren't following their emotions. They weren't, but because they were following God and his leading, it gave them joy. There's an order to that. Verse 11, and when they were coming into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now this is where I think this, the heart of this message is at tonight. When they come to the house, what do they find? A throne, a scepter, a crown. They found a mother and a little child. And undoubtedly, this was not a fancy house. Joseph and Mary couldn't even afford to to provide or present to God anything greater than a turtle dove as an offering. Only the poorest of the poor offered turtle doves at the dedication of a son. And that's all they could offer. They were poor. So they're not living in an extravagant house. My question is this. You see pictures and there's halos over the Lord Jesus. That's not true. He didn't glow. He didn't have wings. The, The little song says he didn't cry. I don't believe it. Crying is a good thing. A baby doesn't cry, something wrong with it. <laughs> so no crying he made, that's not what the Bible says. You know what he was? He was a little child. So what made why did they fall down and worship him? If it were me and if it were you, and you follow the star to where it stood over this place, what would you expect when the door opens? A ragtag mama and a little baby? I mean, that's probably not what I would expect. Don't you think when they saw the Lord Jesus, just maybe, and I don't want to add anything that's not here, but I will just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say there was anything physically significant about him. In fact, Isaiah says quite the opposite. That he, he, was, he was not uh, comely to look upon. He it was not the one to be desired, I believe it says in chapter 53. So there was nothing beautiful necessarily. It wasn't like you saw this little baby and said, that must be the Christ. Their worship had integrity because it was entirely on faith. Why did they believe that child was the newborn king? They believed what God said through that star in connection with Scripture. The only thing that made them think he was the Savior was the Word of God. Nothing else. So there was a star, right? But couldn't, couldn't they have second guessed and said, well, what if we misunderstand what the star means? I mean, they had nothing physically. They didn't touch him, and bolts of lightning come from heaven. They didn't hear him and say, oh, what the voice of God. No, this is a child. Remember, Jesus took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He was just like any other child without sin, but he's a little child. And so the integrity of their worship is they believed God so much, they were willing to acknowledge and be certain he's the one without any evidence other than the word of God. True worship doesn't need anything else. Friend, tonight you do not need a scientific, and I do not need a scientific explanation of the existence of God. God already gave that. He he, he wired it inside of you and He made you to know that He is. He gave us a book that has survived every scrutiny and every attack man knows how to muster up with the leadership of Satan behind it. And the book still stands tonight. What else do we need? We have enough evidence before us to worship Him on our face from now until the day He comes. Yet men do not. Wise men do. Wise men do not need a university education to recognize there's a God. They do not need a university education to recognize Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They simply need faith. Faith. The wisest person is the person who believes everything God says. And the fool is the one who questions. Not that God does not want to reason with us. Don't misunderstand what I just said. The Lord said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. You can ask the Lord questions if you don't understand. I've heard it said this way. You can ask questions of God, but don't question God. Question what he's doing, but don't question his character. He's right. He's good. My point is this tonight. The wise men, the integrity of their worship is seen in the fact they were willing to acknowledge that that child is exactly who God says he is. Why did they believe that was the Christ? Because the word of God led them to that conclusion. Why were they in Bethlehem? The Bible told them to be there. The Bible said that's where is there any other reason they would have ended up in Bethlehem? I said to our fellows in the jail, I preached this text to them a few weeks ago, and I said this would be like saying the next governor of the state of Idaho is going to be born and you're going to meet the governor. What town would you expect to meet him in? And they resent, well, Boise, right? But in fact, you're going to go to Bonner's Ferry and meet meeting. Maybe we should do better than that say Naples. I now, mean, you wouldn't think that, would you? <laughs> and the fact of the matter is here, Bethlehem, the only thing that led them there was the word of God. And then the star that God brought and led them stood right over top of that house. And they knew that God, the, the revelation of God, led them to Jesus Christ. May I say this? God is still working today. In the consciences of men, through the written word of God, he today uses preaching as a tool, but it is God that illuminates the way of man and leads them to faith in his son Jesus Christ. And that's what happened for these wise men and their acknowledgement that that truly is the Christ. They didn't stand there and say, well, hopefully we're at the right place. Faith does not leave you saying, we don't know. When you believe God, you know. I'm telling you something, that's why so much of what we have today is not faith. Do you know you're saved? Met two people on Sunday who said, I wouldn't say that. I, I just couldn't say that we're saved. And so the one fellow I got to talk to, I said, Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The apostle Paul who had previously been a murderer and a persecutor of the church, did not have a problem saying he was saved or saying that the Corinthians were saved. How could he be sure? It's called faith. It's not about believing in yourself. It's about taking God at his word. Does God say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Well, then we take him at his word. Amen? Does he say, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, be, should not perish, but maybe get everlasting life? See, when you believe God, you have to believe God. They didn't say, well, maybe this is the place. Hopefully we got Bethlehem right. Oh, hopefully, Micah 5, 2, hopefully that text can be trusted. Hopefully it wasn't mistranslated. Hopefully it wasn't misinterpreted. And hopefully we haven't, no, 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 no. They believed God. God gave them enough evidence there and in their heart's conscience to know that's from God we must listen and obey. That's from God we must listen and obey. And God's given you the same. He's given us enough to know His Word, to believe it. Faith is a gift from God. We understand that. He's been gracious enough to allow us to have faith and enable us to have faith. And I'm not suggesting He makes us have faith... That's a separate issue, but the point of the matter is this. These men did not guess that this was Jesus. They did not guess He was the Christ. They knew it. How do we know that? They fell down and worshipped Him. To do that to anyone other than God would be blasphemy. Would it not? One of the great texts in the Bible on the deity of Jesus Christ is right here. By the way, I've heard some people professing to be fundamental Christians say, well, as a little child, you know... He, he didn't know who he was, and he kind of developed into He had to prove that he was. They have this weird doctrine about what he was when he was little and what he was when he was big. Look, right here, as a little child under two years of age, he was acknowledged as God. They fell down and worshipped him, and Mary didn't say, No, get up. He's just another human. Did she? Throughout the Bible, we have instances of people trying to worship other people. Peter, you know, tried. Cornelius, tried to worship him. He said, No, get up. Don't do that. Only God. Paul and Barnabas had people try to fall down and worship them and they said, no, we're men of like passions like you. Don't do that. But when men fell down to worship Jesus, you know what he did? He accepted it because he's worthy. And so then, the integrity of their worship is seen in the fact they acknowledged him to be who God said he was. They took God at his word and knew that that was the Christ. Number two, we see it not in their acknowledgement of him but of course their action, they fell down. But then, when it says, and they and worshipped him, that expresses an attitude. Worship is a disposition of the heart that is expressed in the actions of the life. It's a disposition of heart that is expressed in the actions or the deeds of our life. Uh, in John chapter 4, turn there if you would, the Lord Jesus says this about worship. The woman at the well was curious. Well... She was skeptical, actually. Our fathers say, and this is the place we worship, and you people say it, Jerusalem. So even back then, you know, she's arguing over denominationalism. <laughs> the Samaritans said, oh, you're to worship in this hill, and these people say you're supposed to worship over here. Jesus said, the hour cometh and now is, when the Father will seek such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's read it in John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said, to her woman believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, meaning it's not going to be about a location you're at. There was a time when you had to go to Jerusalem to worship God the Father because that's where he promised to meet with men as far as a place. But he said there's coming a time when it's not going to be about matter where you are. Verse 22, you worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, verse 23, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is what we see demonstrated with these men. They're worshiping Him in spirit. The Bible says when they, they fell down and worshiped Him, the word means this, uh, to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. This is what the, the Syrophoenician woman did to the Lord Jesus when she said he called her a dog she said truth Lord but even the dogs get crumbs you know what she's saying if I've got to be a dog let me be your dog she didn't resent that so worship is like a dog licking a master's hand means to fawn or crouch to prostrate oneself in homage to do reverence or to adore we sing the song oh come let us adore him Do you get the idea what the attitude of these men was toward that little child? They adored him. It'd be like this. Oh, we found him. Oh. Now, is that our attitude toward our Lord tonight? Well, let's get in the Bible. I've got to do my duty today. Or is it, oh, my goodness, that God would truly come to us? You say, well, that was then. They could actually look at, remember, they were looking at a little human child. It took as much faith for them to worship him as it does you and I. We don't see him. It might mess us up if we did, because he wouldn't look what we probably expect him to look like. Not like the pictures you see painted, I assure you of that. The point is this tonight. Their attitude toward him was, meaning him was the most glorious thing that ever had happened to them. They're worshiping him. That's an attitude, meaning a spirit. That's what Jesus means. They that worship him must worship him in spirit, an attitude of heart, of adoration, of reverence, of longing and love for, of trust in, of belonging to. Here are grown men. How many we do not know? Grown men falling down, worshiping. How could they do this to a little child? By faith they knew who he was. How can we do it to a God we cannot see? By faith. When I open my mouth and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ begin to speak to God, I know he hears my prayer because he told me to come in the name of his Son Then if I would, I could come boldly and obtain mercy and find grace. And that ought to move my heart to say, how gracious, and I ought to worship like these men. Worship, I'll say it again and again, is an attitude of reverential respect and adoration. It is not the party attitude that we see demonstrated in so many things today called church. Let's go have a party in the name of Jesus where sensual lusts are stirred. I am sickened to know what goes on in the name of church today, in the name of worship that's nothing more than stirring sensual lusts. It's wicked. Wicked. Some will say that's legalism. And I say what's going on there is immorality in the name of God. Shame on it. Amen. Worship is what we find here. Men realizing that's my Creator who came in human form, adoring Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. That ought to be our attitude toward the Lord. Their attitude was one of worship, and it was demonstrated in their action. Demonstrating their action. They're in awe, and they fell down, meaning, meaning. I'm not saying worship, and I said this earlier does not involve what we do with our bodies. But what we do with our bodies is a result, a true representation of our heart. Worship is never... They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. That's inwardly and in truth. Meaning, worship is never an outward covering of an inward attitude. It is the outward expression of a true inward attitude. So many times what happens is someone is still bitter at God. How many you ever seen something like this? I, I explained this to you many times. I remember one time, and, and, and so bear with me if I'm a little redundant, talking to my dad uh, when our, some of our kids were younger. He said, sometimes they, they act weird. And, of course, I know why they act weird. I'm their dad. But they act strange. Like they're overhelpful, real helpful, almost syrupy sweet. And when they do, I know somebody's done something wrong. And dad says it's called overcompensation. Their conscience is bothering them and they're trying to convince themselves and you that there's nothing wrong. Now, you want an explanation for why a lot of church services are the way they are today? Inside, someone knows I am not submitted to God, but I want it, but I think I am. So I'm going to overcompensate and get really excited about God. I love God so much. When inside, I think, man, I don't know. it's an outward covering, not an outward expression of what's truly inside. True worship. These, you know how these men felt inside? Like they should fall down. See what they did? They fell down and worshiped Him. And so it's, it's in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. A, a heart that is truly reverential expressed in an outward action. And so that's why we dubbed this the integrity of their worship. They weren't pretending to worship. They truly knew who He was. They truly knew this was the Son of God. They truly knew this is the King. I don't know if they knew all that who He was. I, don't, I think we know about more about Him than they did based on what I see in my Bible. But they knew enough that this was the King that God had sent and they worshipped Him. And so then we've seen the institution of their worship. It was founded on the revelation of God's works and word formed by a response of faith in them to what was revealed to them. The integrity is seen in their acknowledgement that He was who the Word of God said He was. Number two, in their action, they fell down. Their attitude, they worshipped. They were worshipping in spirit and in truth. Thirdly, we see the investment of their worship. And this could be tagged into the integrity. It it, It expresses the same thing. But I want to see the fact that when we truly worship the Lord, we do not have this attitude. Do I have to? Do I have to? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to read my Bible every day? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I, I mean, how often do I have to go to church? If if I am going to be a Christian, do I have to obey my parents? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to get baptized? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to change my friends? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to give my money? If I'm going to be a Christian, do I have to witness to other people? You with me? And people who do things that they think they have to do, that they don't really want to do, are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Do you think somebody said to these men, now if you're going to go to Jerusalem and find that king, you better take you some gold and some frankincense and myrrh. So if you're going to be a worshiper, you have to give some gold and frankincense and myrrh. Or do you think it was, what's the best we have we could offer this, this king? If we're going to go see the king that God has sent, we better give our best. Nobody made them. True worship is not pulled out of you by somebody else. True worship is offered to you of your own heart and own will. God will not force you to worship Him against your will. Amen. Your parents cannot force you to worship God. They can teach you that you ought to, but that's your decision. If you want to reject the truth that God has given you and not worship Him, that's between you and Him. The truth is still the truth, but that's your decision. These men invested, and we use the word investment because it was their decision to give their best, not against their will, but according to their will. You see, true worship does not see giving our best to the Savior as a drudgery or bondage. I'm so fearful of people who cry legalism at any time their Christian faith might cost them something they like. That tells me something's wrong if If being a Christian means it's going to cost me something I like, then I'm just going to spew that's legalism so I can keep doing what I like. look you do whatever, we should do whatever we want. Do whatever you want seriously, do whatever you want. but we ought to ask ourselves, are my wants correct? Amen I should want to give the Lord the first fruits of my day and if I don't Doesn't that say there's something wrong with me? If I don't want to give the one who died for me my very best when he gave his all for me? And that ought to correct our thinking. And so three things very quickly about the investment of their worship. Number one, it was purposeful. They didn't come on this long journey and say, Oh, uh, we found him. Uh, Should we give him something? It it wasn't like... um, Yeah, I think I got a little leftover gold in my saddlebag out there. These guys came prepared. They believed that the king had been born and they prepared to give him their best. You will not invest in showing the Lord that you trust him and love him on accident. It won't happen on accident. It was purposeful. And by that, I mean a couple of things they had prepared. They had prepared in advance. They had said, You know what? If we're going to meet the king... We should give him our best. I mean, we could just, again, I don't want to make the Bible say anything it doesn't say, but gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not inexpensive trinkets. Amen. They're not trinkets. These are, these are costly gifts. These are meaningful gifts. So there was some, they, they came expecting to find him. That tells you they, they started their journey by faith. They ended it by faith. And they came prepared, not saying, well, if, if we find him, we'll scrounge something up. May I say this, and this, this this, part of this message ought to be a reproof and an instruction to all of us. They did not offer the king their trinkets. They did not offer him leftovers. They did not offer him whatever little thing they had. They prepared to give, because they knew who he was by faith, then they said that he is deserving of gold, frankincense, myrrh, things that would be befitting, and there's... Lessons and messages that became, can be given out of the meaning of those. And we'll say just a little bit about that. But their preparation tells us it was purposeful. Meaning worship is not on accident. It's a decision of faith based on belief of what God says concerning himself. It was not only purposeful in that we see there was preparation made. But in the presentation that was made. The Bible says when they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their, what's it it call it? Treasures. Hold on. What does the Bible say about treasures? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This tells us where their heart was, doesn't it? Because they took their treasures and gave it to whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. How do you do that? Lay up your treasure in heaven. Give what is precious to you to God. Give it to His work. Give it to His will. Young people, your youth is precious. You can waste it on a lot of things or you can invest it in the things of God by doing the will of God. You can invest your strength. You can invest your your intellect. You can invest your, your abilities in fulfilling the will of God or you can waste it on something else. Guess whose decision that is? Yours. Jesus said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth uh, nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. These men took their treasures, and the Bible says, and presented him unto him gifts. Now a gift is something that is not taken. It is something that is given. Uh, they say that, Duh. But m- let me put it to you like this. I tease my children all the time. Not all the time. They'll get a little, especially my young ones, a candy bar. I say, Oh, can I have it? And I heckle them and I coerce them. Sometimes Brooklyn calls my bluff and says, sure. At which point I say, no, I was just kidding. I don't want it. Especially if it's a bite from something she's eating. And she's many times more than willing to let me help her. I don't want it. I was not serious. May I ask something? If I could coerce my kids and guilt them into giving me stuff, is it giving? No, it's taking. That's a form of thievery. It's extorting at some level, right? God is not an extortioner. He doesn't hold things over your head and say, you give or I'll do this or this. No, these men, God, remember, God loveth a cheerful giver. These men of their own volition, because of who they knew he was, were more than happy to give him their treasures. Now, I want you to think about this. Is it possible that this was lifelong investments for them? We don't know that, but the Bible says it was treasure. Something that had been laid aside that was of extreme value. And they said, you know what? He should have it. We'll give it to him. And so then it it being presented shows us what I've been saying. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For it to be true worship, it has to be your own will by faith saying, because I believe he is who he is, I'll give him my best. I'll give him my treasures. I'm not going to hold out. I'm not going to give him the last few years of my life, or the last few hours of my day, or the last five minutes of my day, or you know whatever it may be. I'm going to give God the best. And so then Romans 12:1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. There's a presentation made. No one took this from them. They offered it freely. That is true worship. And then we see their investment then was purposeful. It was precious treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, of course, it was pictorial. Uh, All the gifts point to what the Lord Jesus Christ would one day do on the cross. Isn't our giving of what is precious to us, to the Lord, supposed to do the same? Is it not supposed to bring people back? Someone would say, uh, why would you spend your life preaching the gospel? Why would you spend your life making decisions to live your life this, this strange way? And what we can always come back to is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5:14 and 15. Uh, for the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that they that which live should not live unto themselves, henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them. Our giving of ourselves and of our treasures to the Lord is a magnification of what he did for us on the cross. It allows others to see how, how precious he is by what we give. Let me put it to you this way. How I treat my wife tells you something of the caliber of woman she is. The way I treat her, the way that she is, and I could treat her badly and give a misrepresentation of her, couldn't I? But if I treat her well and I treat her like she is the best woman that I've ever known, you're going you're to know that by the way I treat her. Many times what happens, we tell the world that Christ is really no more important than our hobbies because of how we treat him. He gets our leftovers. I don't have time to read my Bible today. I don't have time to pray today. Well, I got time to shop and I got time to hunt and I got time for this and I got time for that, but I don't have time for prayer today now. You know what we're saying? Work is here. Money's here. Relationships with people are here. And the Lord, now he's willing down here. Because he doesn't get the treasures, he gets the trinkets. Not the wise men. Wise men say, he gets the treasures. We'll go home on the leftovers. Amen? Uh, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I wonder how much gold they had left when they got done giving. I have no idea if they had any or frankincense or myrrh. And again, there's more messages that could be preached on the symbolism of those, but they all speak of his, his being a king, uh, really his prophet, priest, and king position. Those three gifts deal with that. Kings, the gold, uh, the prophet, and the priest are dealt with in his sacrifice. The myrrh speaks of the myrrh that's put on a sacrifice and the frankincense was offered at the time of prayer by the priests. All those things are symbolic about who he is. And as you and I give to Christ, our giving, our Our lives lived in sacrifice out of true love for him magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's exactly what Paul meant when he said that Christ would be magnified in his body whether by life or by death. The question for us tonight is then are we wise tonight? Are we worshiping the Lord based on what he said? Is our thinking about God based on what he has said or based on how we feel? Sometimes we get out of sorts with God because the circumstance around us makes us feel badly toward him. Our lives aren't going the way we want them to and we see that God somehow is behind that and we get a bad attitude toward him. Instead of basing our worship based on his word, we base it on our circumstances, our emotions. May we be wise tonight, consecrated to the worship of God, giving him our treasures, not our trinkets. And that that comes through a conviction that he is exactly who the word of God says he is.